Good morning, church family. Um, today's scripture reading is Revelation 22, uh, 1 through 6, and we've chosen the message. And it's a wonderful interpretation of God's love for us and, uh, and his creation. The river of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Amen. I don't know if you take time to read the pastor's notes or pastor's corner or pastor's journal or whatever it happens to be that particular week. Um, Journal means that it comes from something I've written for myself, thoughts or musings. Uh, Notes means that it's just something to accompany what I'm saying today. And uh, what was the other one? That doesn't matter. Musings, whatever, just thoughts on my mind. It strikes me as a very interesting uh, point in political history right now because there's this huge sense of very high stakes in the game for health care. And whether it will become universal, marginally universal, or whether the initiative will again fail. For uh, dyed-in-the-wool Republicans, it's an important juncture because if Obama should somehow succeed in this part of the agenda, it's going to be politically difficult from here on out. If they can get him to fail, uh, it's still anybody's game, and uh, then the question comes after 50 years of failed initiatives in health care reform, what is going to be uh, the future of, of health care? Are we going to continue to provide uh, a majority, well, not a majority, huge, huge amounts of service through our emergency rooms to populations without health care? And so whatever side you end up on in this particular debate, I can assure you everyone's probably going to lose something. There may be something to gain at the end of the day, but it really doesn't matter what... What I want you to think about, because we cannot predict the future, I cannot say whether your health plan will remain valid, whether there'll be a variation on it that comes to you, whether you'll be one without insurance who finally gets government-sponsored insurance, whether the initiative will pass, or I can't predict any of those things. But what strikes me in the midst of this, how much fear there is among Seventh-day Adventists regarding this, and yet how much fear I, I think uh, we need to askew. We should not be afraid of all people because in so many respects we have been given the ultimate health care plan. Now, as I say in my notes, 
I could be driving home today, have a catastrophic car accident, survive it, and the costs of, of bringing uh, healing to my body may, may run into the hundreds of thousands or even into the million mark or more. That kind of stuff scares us all, and, and we don't have individually the resources, most of us, to address those kinds of catastrophic pieces. There are certain genet genetic predispositions we carry, and that increases the likelihood that we're going to get certain diseases in spite of our health habits. There are uh, odd happenings. You, re you, you see somebody who's never been in a polluted environment, who's never smoked in their life, and they come down with lung cancer. What's with that? It happens. But 75% of our longevity is the choices we make. Only 25% is our genetics. And we have been given a template. Now, in my opinion, the church lost its way in this template. And let me explain how. Health and the principles of health became reduced to standards of health, which became confused with doctrine, which then became dogma, and in some cases could not be connected then biblically, and for some became a discredit rather than a credit. Now, for those who didn't follow that logic, we might say, for example that black pepper is an irritant. It can irritate the lining of the stomach or the intestine. So we came up with the idea that on a principle level, taking care of our bodies might mean not ingesting irritants to, to our body. Fair enough. We then developed a standard black pepper would not be served on the Adventist table. Now, I know some of you are looking at me like I have three heads because you've never heard of this in your whole life, and I'm not asking you to run home and dispose of your black pepper. I have a costco size one at, at my place. Now, I don't use it very much, but there are recipes in which just a pinch seems to make a, a lovely difference, if you follow my thinking there. So when I was at Pacific Union College, Monterey Bay Academy, these places, you could not find black pepper anywhere. It was not to be found. Cinnamon in abundance, and as I understand it, studies show that cinnamon is more irritating to the line of the stomach. than. Uh, but we were good with our cinnamon rolls on Sabbath morning. It was just no black pepper. Now, if one of our founders, Ellen White, happened to say something about one of these irritants or one of these other things, then it became an even bigger deal. So the standard of not having pepper kind of became connected to the idea of the doctrine of health itself. And in fact, to ingest black pepper became something of a sin, if, you, if I could put it that way. And therefore, those who ingested black pepper were not only sinning, they sort of became... Class two Adventists, if you know what I mean. Interesting, huh? And since no one could find thou shalt not eat black pepper anywhere in Scripture, 
And since no one could find, thou shalt not eat anything that slightly irritates the lining of your stomach anywhere in Scripture, people began to think, is this biblical? And our health standards became confused with our religious well-being and our spiritual tenacity and our orthodoxy and our purity. And about that time, because that is always, friends, a catastrophic, philosophical, theological, practical mistake, to do this is always a catastrophe, theologically, philosophically, and practically. Most of us never think about or talk about or hear preached about the Adventist health message. This series, this week, next week, maybe one more week, I don't know, is going to be the first one I have done in my career. Because I was, victim is way too strong a word, but I was working through my identity, my theology, my perspectives as some of this sort of stuff was winding down. So we lost our way. And my fear is at this juncture that so many of us have forgotten what God has given us and we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. We've forgotten that we have resources for taking care of ourselves in abundance from an abundant God. That we don't need to confuse these resources with dogma. That we don't need to label or categorize one another. That we don't need to show disrespect because our particular standard is different than that of another. It means that With the tools we've been given, prayerfully, we all have access to a river called life. Now, our text today all focused on that river, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. I want to thank Bunny for getting these songs that the men sang today arranged. You recognized probably Dare to Be a Daniel. How many of you sang that in primary or juniors? few of you did. That was one of my favorite songs when I was that age. It just sang well. It was fun. And uh, that's an interesting bit of theology too, by the way, because uh, when I started my internship, my senior pastor, who was 65 and thoroughly old school Adventist, believed that Daniel was a vegetarian. How many of you have heard that Daniel was a vegetarian? Okay, a few of you. This is based on the notion that when Daniel was taken into captivity in Babylon, put in the king's palace, and given the opportunity to eat from the king's table, which included meats offered to idols, that he refused and asked for a diet of pulse, which was basically grains and vegetables. And having stood for the doctrine, if you will, of clean and unclean, or for the Jewish standard of kosher more accurately, having stood for that for himself and his friends, At the end of a 10-day trial period, they were fairer and in better health than their counterparts who had eaten from the meat of the king's table. 
And so as I was a child and my parents' generation were children growing up, Daniel became kind of the temperance symbol in Scripture, and especially the Adventist symbol, because here was a guy who eschewed meat offered to idols, unclean meats, and lived this vegetarian life. Only better scholarship would tell us that in no way was Daniel vegetarian. You see, Daniel was a Jew, and every Jew went to Passover, and at every Passover, every Jew ate what? Lamb. Is that vegetarian? Some of you are not sure. Oh, the lamb is. Very good. Yes, I only eat vegetarian meat. Thank you very much. Animals that are vegetarian. That's that's a pretty good principle, actually. Um, So this notion of Daniel as the symbol of everything Adventist in terms of health standards kind of became normative, I would say, as early as the 1940s and right on through the uh, 70s anyway. Uh, Daniel was probably not a vegetarian. Uh, He did stand up for what he understood to be right. He did stand up to the king and really the king's servants and therefore the king and said, I will not eat of food offered to idols. I will not eat of unclean foods. And he asks a favor, and he got it. And because God blessed them in this, they were able to persist in the diet of choice and not forced to eat the king's food. And, uh, well, you know the story. Daniel went on to survive not King Nebuchadnezzar, but multiple kingdoms and served multiple kings and did so with greatness and distinction. So he's a very important figure for us. But you can see the sort of slippery slope there theologically that that the church kind of kind of went with uh, the notion that Daniel was a vegetarian and therefore we should be vegetarians and it just didn't quite hold and so the theological rationale eclipsed the health reasons which then uh, ended up making it problematic for us and so many of us then just sort of shoved all that aside and said well we don't need that and we've, uh, we've forgotten some of the great stuff that was ours there. So I uh, was glad that we could sing those songs. And the one uh, that we did for the offertory, Water, Pure Water, was actually a James White song. Now, odd as that song was, it sounded a little jingoistic, didn't it? Drink, 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 you know, kind of. Um, and a little hard to sing, perhaps. This was a congregational hymn. The early hymn book, I think they had much better vision back then than we do because the early hymn book was probably written in like six-point font. Um, Most of us look at ten and go, that's pretty small. Nine, we can barely make it out. Those who need reading glasses stop at about 12 or 14, actually, and then we need help anywhere down below that. And then uh, this is probably written in six-type right there. Multiple verses, and the way it was actually written in terms of the harmonies was kind of all over the place. It, was, it wasn't easy to sing. And the early hymn books were also written a good key or two higher than we sing today, which is why we owe people like Wayne Hooper such a debt because we not straining, you know. It's not the national anthem. We don't feel the veins poking out on the sides of our necks as we scream rockets, red glare, and so forth. 
So um, we can actually sing our hymns today, and, and it was, must have been much of a challenge 100 years ago as these hymns were in the book. But you see the emphasis that was placed, even in public worship, on the principles of health. Now, water is just an amazing thing. We need it, obviously, for everything. It nourishes, it cleans. And this is true of the external world, and it's true of the internal world. We, in our culture, don't particularly like water. Some of you drink Kool-Aid instead of water. At least I know people who do. Or juice instead of water. Or milk instead of water. Or coffee instead of water. Or other things instead of water. Now, a glass of juice has a lot of sugar in it. Roughly about the same as a can of soda. So we're looking at somewhere between 140 and 240 calories each time you take in a good tumbler of that stuff. And then we wonder why we're getting bigger as a people and the airline seats don't fit us as well as they used to. And I think it's because we don't sing water, pure water every week. (laughs) So that's going to become a part of our... No, I'm just kidding. Why? Very briefly, you know these things. I don't need to beat them into you. You've, you've, you've watched uh, countless shows with accurate information on this, some with inaccurate information on this. Believe it or not, it is possible to drink too much water. Drinking too much water is dangerous because it can deplete electrolyte levels and it can wash certain uh, of these electrolytes out of your system too quickly in such a way that... Um, things may not be balanced in your system and uh, the most serious consequence that can happen here is death. Uh, It's very unusual for people to drink too much water. Most of us don't drink anywhere near enough. And of course, if you're exercising or sweating regularly, doing hard outdoor work, if it's a hot day, you need to drink even more than usual. The challenge is drinking pure water fresh water. Now, interestingly enough, we are a culture, and this isn't particularly biblical here, but we are a culture of bottled water. Very convenient. And unfortunately, many of us believe that this is actually a superior solution. But the truth of the matter is that there's not much evidence that bottled water is any better for you than tap water. And in point of fact, every person in their 80s and 90s I know drinks tap water. Yeah. Thank you, ma'am. How old are you? 94, and you drink tap water, correct? None of this for you, right? Sometimes. It's convenient. There you go. It's all you have. I do this for convenience, but I have to tell you, tap water is uh, a longevity ticket here in the United States. Not a problem. And you can save a bunch of money, and in terms of recycling, well, you just don't have to worry about recycling when you're drinking out of the tap. Water is also religiously significant. It's not only something that cleanses us. I mean, you know, can I, can I be uh, 
a little medical for a minute. If your urine is bright yellow and strong in odor, it is time for you to drink more water. Okay? You've never heard that said from the pulpit before, and technically I'm not up there. Okay? I want that to be... I have not tried to profane that space there. I'm just telling you, you need to drink more water. So... um, Enough said on that subject. I find it personally, and I, I want to tell you why I haven't preached a temperance sermon. It's not just because of the theology stuff. It's because I always felt like I would be a hypocrite doing so. You can't imagine what a struggle this is for me. I don't drink enough water. I would like to. I have it in my head to try to. Some days I succeed in doing a better job than others. But I don't always drink adequate water. Sometimes I drink too much of the other wrong kinds of things, too. I actually have a soda from time to time, which is really not very good for me. I like to drink milk on occasion, and yet I have plenty of other calcium sources without those calories. I really love juice. I really love juice. And there are healthy juices, that is to say juices with all kinds of vitamins and antioxidants and good things in them, but juice is no substitute for water. I like coffee, and I only drink it on those mornings I get up, to quote a very special person in my life. But coffee takes water out of my body. It's a diuretic, and it removes water from my body. So maybe... A little bit of coffee is fine, but then I need to drink lots of water to make sure that my body is properly hydrated. I don't like sweating, but once I get to sweating, I sweat profusely. And when I exercise, I try to get enough water, but I don't always do an adequate job. If I don't have a formal exercise appointment, my self-motivation is really low and it's hard for me to get out and just exercise. I can do push-ups with a 20-year-old standing over me to tell me to do more, do more, do more, but I can't do push-ups by my bed alone. Now go figure. I mean, I really can. It just doesn't occur to me. I would much rather curl up and go to sleep for a little while longer. I don't always get the rest that I need. Your best hour of sleep, as you probably know, your most important hour is between 11 p.m. and 12 midnight. And yet sometimes it's fun to watch late-night television or be intemperate and have a night on the town. And at the end of the day, have I gotten the rest that I needed, particularly if I've overeaten? Now, I'm not here to... This is not a public confessional, but I'm just speaking frankly... I am what you might call a gourmand. Now, the difference between a gourmet and a gourmand is that a gourmet likes really good food, fine foods. A gourmand likes really good food, fine foods, in good quantities. Okay? A plate of food is nice as a starter, Where is number two and number three sometimes? And this is where, of course, catastrophic problems. We train, or I do, I train my stomach that really full is normative. Really full is what we want to pursue. 
in Japanese cultures of longevity, especially as people age more, what they try to target is to get a feeling of 70 to 80% full, barely satisfied, and stop. Have you noticed that if you eat something about 20 minutes later, you feel even more full than you felt 20 minutes earlier? That's because it takes time for your stomach to tell your brain that it's got what it needs. It takes a little too long in my case. I wish it could just happen right away, but it doesn't. And so there I find myself wanting to eat more than I should. I grew up vegetarian, but it wasn't practical for me to remain so while a student missionary in Korea. And I found, in fact, that meat provided important proteins for me at various points along my journey. I don't eat a lot of it, but I do eat meat. I'm mostly vegetarian at home, but there are times. I'm, like I said already, confessionally, a coffee drinker. I don't drink 10 cups a day. I don't go through a pot. I don't live at Starbucks. But I enjoy a good cappuccino in the morning. There are things in my life. I have cinnamon in my cupboard. I have pepper in my cupboard, etc., etc. There are things I do just to engage culture and engage in life sometimes that take me away from what might produce an optimal diet. I love sugar. And sugar with fat is even better. <laughs> And in point of fact, I like fat with salt, too. That's just delicious. If I had a weakness, it would be potato chips. And according to June Rhee, potato chips, that is to say fried potatoes, deep-fried potatoes... are the most carcinogenic thing we can eat. Potatoes baked, steamed, boiled, maybe covered with olive oil and so forth, terrific source of all kinds of great nutrients and food. So maybe you're a bit like me. If you're not, I don't want to hear it on your way out. <laughs> no preaching. It ends when I walk out that door. But maybe you're just a bit like me and some of these things you struggle with too. You like sweets. You like fatty foods or salty foods. You want to eat too much. You don't drink enough water. Or maybe you're a caffeine addict or something else. We all struggle. And I've never wanted to talk to you about health unless I could say I was the vision of health myself. But here's the point of fact. I'm trying. I'm learning. And I'm hoping that you are too, because in these days, the best health care is the health care we give ourselves and the ways in which we care for our body. I'm trying to drink more water and eat less food. I'm trying to pay attention. In fact, I'm much more aware when things are salty. I do occasionally buy a bag of potato chips, but I don't finish the whole thing in one sitting. Progress. I do try to limit desserts and cookies if I can, although certain cookies will just vanish if they are present. 
Right now at Trader Joe's, they have these maple things with maple icing in them. They're in the shape of a leaf. I can eat about 30 of those without even thinking. They're dangerous. Don't go there. Don't buy them, I entreat you. But every day I get up, I go to boot camp, I do my exercise, I make my contact with God, I try to do something positive. And it's all tied in the end to life. Life temporal and life eternal. As Peter read in Psalm 42, here's the sentiment that we all feel. As the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. I'm thirsty for you, God. For the living God. When can I go and meet with God? I long to be with him. Jesus likens himself to bread and living water. And the psalmist captures that so beautifully. Don't we long for God like a thirst? Doesn't our thirst tell us something about what we ought to be drinking, what we need to be taking in? We're thirsty. We're not just thirsty for water per se, earthly water, H2O. We're thirsty for water of life. We're thirsty for the life that only God can bring and only give, only give to us, the life that flows from his very throne. Revelation 22. There's an angel guide with John, maybe the same one who was with Ezekiel, I don't know. And the angel guide shows John the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer is there a curse. The throne of, the God, of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Remember, we're sealed by God, saved by God. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of lamp or the sun, light of sun, for God will give them light and will reign forever and ever. And the angel said, these words are trustworthy and true. Here we have this river of life flowing from the throne of God with the tree of life bordering each side. Twelve crops of fruit. The river waters. The river is clear and pure. The river brings life to the nations as does the tree of life. The liver, the river, yeah, the liver, there you go. The river supporting these trees and the tree of life yields leaves which are for healing, which are for medicine. It's quite a health plan, don't you think? You may not have 
You may have certainly heard of Revelation 22 before, but I don't know if you've read Ezekiel 47 before. Why don't you turn there? Ezekiel is with an angel guide just as John was, heavenly messenger, someone showing him the details of a temple yet to be built. And in 47.1, Ezekiel describes it this way. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, the south of the altar. Then he brought me out through the north gate and led me around to the outer side, around the outside to the outer gate facing east and the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through a water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to en to Enaglaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the great sea. And he goes on to describe, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on the bank of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fall or fail. Every month they, were, they will bear because of the water from the sanctuary that flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Sound familiar? So we have a picture of this heavenly place that John is describing. And we have a picture of a temple now that Ezekiel is seeing with waters flowing these many directions. And even though there are no tributaries, it continues to grow in volume. You see, it's ankle deep, then knee deep, then waist deep, and then uncrossable. It just seems to get bigger as the source, as it flows away from the source. Giving life, trees on either sides, leaves for healing. It's an amazing reference and peace. And of course it goes back to the beginning of beginnings. It goes back to a time of rivers. Genesis 2, verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. 
From there it was separated into four headwaters, the multidirectional waters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Full circle. Our beginnings were in a place with water. Pure water. Flowing water that nourished trees and gave fruit and provided healing. Ezekiel envisions a temple from which water flows to the whole earth. Spiritual water, nourishing water, God's goodness and grace poured out, cleansing outside and within. Revelation takes us to a new place, an Eden restored, a Jerusalem that has been reestablished. It takes us to a throne room and a dwelling place of God and from this place pure water flows and trees are nourished and fruits are produced which give life and as they did in the beginning again give life eternal and there are leaves that heal us and heal the nations. When National Geographic studied the three longevity areas, one of which was Loma Linda, California, one of the things openly and publicly cited as a reason for Adventist longevity was the spiritual life of its people. Faith will give us life. Hope will bring us life. A connection with the life giver will give us life. I pray that we will each take time to live as healthfully as we can and I'll have more to say about this next week. Drinking lots of water Water that cleanses body inside and out. And water that is the Christ who saves us. Lord, in you we find our star and our sun, our life and our breath. We thank you for being the source of all, for we would be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.